that line, rise in my vessel. Amen. That's a powerful image, like stand up in me, Lord. You know, because a lot of times everything coming from without is too much, but if Jesus will stand up in you, you can, you'll, you'll be able to endure, you'll be able to stand it. Last week we left off with some thoughts on vision, and I wanted to pick up right on the end of that, if you guys will remember, I said we need prophetic vision that shows us, um, you know, a, a personal path, a personal, the, the personal way to faith. In other words, that each of us see what God wants from and for us. And I think a lot of times we get hung up in that, that from part, and we, we miss that God wants a lot more for us than He wants from us. And so today I wanted to go right back to the end passage I was at, which was Hebrews chapter number 11, around verse 24, where we were talking about the life of Moses. And before we get to the passage, I want to do two things. I want to pray, and I want to have some introductory comments that I hope that the Holy Spirit will use like a can opener. 
and pop us open and get us to thinking and listening for that still small voice to speak to us in a very personal way. So if you would join me in prayer. Father, you know, God, we, we all, we know how to read. We, we're smart people. We know how to deal with metaphors and similes. We know how to take an idea from words into action. But Father, the truth is when we deal with your word, we're dealing with something supernatural, something mystical, something mysterious, something that is born in the heavenlies and being experienced here on earth. In other words, Father, for us to be dealt with in your word, we need you or else it will just become another book. When we read this book, the author shows up and thank you for it. Father, because we need you. We are spiritually discerned. We are children. We are often on milk when we ought to be on meat. So, Father, by your the power of your Holy Spirit, do more with us than allowing us just to open this word. Open this word in us. Like this song says, Lord, rise up in our vessels and be found in us and give us understanding. In Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. You know, it's easy to assess something. You know, like I was slowing down, thank the good Lord, to turn into this parking lot. And there at that intersection was a law enforcement officer. Now, if I really cared about how fast I was going, it wouldn't have took seeing that car for me to look at my speedometer. I'd have been looking at my speedometer before I saw that car. But I, if I'm real honest, you know, I'm like Van Halen. I can't drive 55. <laughs> you can assume if you see me, I deserve a ticket. Go tell all your friends. I'm working on it, amen? But sometimes it takes something to remind me to have some thought, to have some concern. But truth be told, if you see people walking in this building right here, I, I have the assumption that you guys know that there's something beyond all the laws of man. There's something beyond the law men. There's someone we have to answer to that guides our life even more so than all the laws. In other words, Christian folks, those kind of folks that see something that other folks don't see. And because we see him who is invisible, it causes us to operate differently <coughs> In this visible world. In other words, the IRS don't catch me on my taxes, but I know God does, so I'm going to do my taxes right. Amen? amen. <laughs> Not many people said amen. Amen? Amen. I still saw some of y'all going, I'm getting all of it, brother. There should be something. Notice I said should be. Should be something operating in me that I'm concerned about safety and I'm concerned about my testimony, so I drive right. There should be some operating in me that makes me operate higher than the enforcement of law. Amen. There should be something that when, when, I, when I'm in a store and uh, I, I see the price tag is priced wrong, I, I don't go up and try to get a deal, right? I say, I understand a human has made a mistake, but God has given me wisdom. And I don't, I don't have to operate that way. But many of our friends, and, and I've just confessed to my problem with the traffic now. Come on now, work with me, church. Many of our lost friends and many of us at times in our life, we don't have that transcendent vision directing our life in a really temporal way. What am I saying? We don't let God lead us in everything. Let's keep it real. And a lot of times we'll cherry pick what we let God lead us in. Like, I, you know, some folks say, I love to do this and I love to do that, but I sure ain't, no, I'm not going to tithe. I'm just not. Right. Or some folks say, I love to tithe, but they ain't said nothing nice to somebody in 57 years. Right. They're not going to let God have that tongue, so to speak. <laughs> or some folks says, I read my Bible every day, but I'm not going to think about it very much. So we struggle. What do we need? We need that vision of things that lets us see something bigger than us, bigger than this, that will lead us. And really, at the end of the day, that's what faith is. Faith sees, faith sees in the spiritual realm like the eye sees in the physical realm. Amen. Like I can look out here, and I'm, 
I'm mostly not colorblind, so I can look out here and say what most of you guys are wearing, you know, what color. Uh, although I'm that guy that if it's red, I don't care whether it's dog or light, it's red. If it's purple, it's purple. I don't know about lavender and all that mess. But I can really look out here and see, I can look out here and say, oh man, that guy's really old. I mean, just look at Chris Clayton. That's who I looked at. He's really old. <laughs> well, I can say, that guy's really young. Oh, him. I couldn't find anybody. <laughs> So the eye takes in things, and we make some judgments about them. Well, faith allows you to do that spiritually. And if faith ever sees something, you can't unsee it. And that's where a lot of our issues come in with the Lord. We're sitting in Sunday school. We're under the teaching of the Word. The Word is being proclaimed through music, and God will open something to us, and we'll put a blindfold on. I I, I didn't see that. But the Holy Spirit is good. He won't leave you alone. So if you could get this image that, the, that faith is to spiritual things, what the eye is to physical things, and if you could get this understanding, before I even begin today, if you get this understanding that if God shows you something, it will change the way you operate. It will change the way you relate to him, and it will change the way you relate to them, and it will change the way you relate to things. When faith gives you a vision, when through the eye of faith, God has caused you to see invisible things, you begin to even operate in the visible world differently. So this morning, I want us to understand before I even go on that some of us may need to come down here at the time of invitation and say, God, I obviously have limited spiritual vision. Would you increase it? I have faith. Would you give me more? I have belief. Would you help my unbelief? God, I've seen some of who you are, some of what you want to do. God, I want to see more. Amen. I was laughing on Facebook the other day. Katie Austin, who some of you I hope know because she's a fantastic person. She said her little daughter came into her and said, said to her, says, you know, I don't mind if I have another snack. Katie, of course, is like, nice try, kid. Nice try. Do you know how much your father would love to have you coming to him saying, Father, I take more? Amen. You have not? Why, church? Ain't it amazing how we know that, but we do so little asking? And when we ask, it's related to things we can see, which shows me we haven't seen more than what the eye sees. Am I making church say amen? Amen. I love a quote from a a Bible expositor named Warren Wisby. He says this, the great achievers in history have been men and women who could see the invisible and strive to reach it. Explorers, inventors, liberators, and pioneers in every field have always been characterized by the steady eye that sees the invisible and strives for the seemingly impossible. People with vision. Like every time I eat (coughs) pet chocolate moose tracks ice cream. Every time. My wife will tell you, I eat it and I say, Lord, thank you for whoever was listening on the day you threw this recipe out. (laughs) Thank you who saw this. Whoever saw this and gave it to us, thank you, Lord. Because I'm telling you, boy, that junk is good. They were innovators in my book. Who was the first person? Who was the first person that thought of a remote control? God bless them. I mean, you know what I'm saying? God bless them. Well, I don't know why they didn't hook a string to it. That's a whole other story. What would you ask God for if you saw more? What would you attempt if you saw more? I'm gonna read the passage, but let me say this as a last thought before I do. Maybe it's not the excitement of seeing more that really grips your heart. Maybe it's the fear of what you'll lose behind, leave behind if God calls you to something more. I've been praying this week that God would capture your heart with the excitement of following him more than fear captures your heart and what you might leave behind in doing so. I've been asking for that. Many of you I've been praying by name, but I, I confess, it's a whole lot of y'all. I don't know all y'all's names. 
lot of y'all have been praying for by faith. Been thinking of it. I've been remembering you. I've been thinking of Teresa Baptist Church. God, if they could just get a vision that transcends. If you could see something bigger than the cop car that makes you look at what you're doing right there. If you could see that invisible city and run for it. If you can see that invisible God who is made and is directing and who loves and who will reconcile all things and say, God, let me get in concert with who you are and what you're doing. If you can just see that, everything will change. Amen. And that's scary, but it's good. Amen. So look at the passage with me. I read it last week. I want to read it again this week. Hebrews chapter number 11. I'll begin at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, listen to this church, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let me give you a little context really fast. The generations before the flood, the generations before the flood like Abel and Enoch and Noah, right? We, we don't know what made Abel's testimony better than Cain's, but we know that God said it was better. Now, we have all sorts of ideas. We don't know exactly what that was, but we know it was better. In other words, now, now get this. Abel had seen something of God differently than Cain had seen of God, so it made Abel behave toward God differently than Cain. You see what I'm saying? They're just described the growth spectrum of people in your church. Some folks have seen so much of God and some folks have seen so little that the differences in Christian behavior can be a lot. Some folks ain't seen nothing of the Lord. They're lost and blind, dead in their trespasses and sins. They have not been given a new birth and they're not even able to see the kingdom. But Abel's offering was better. Why? They don't, we don't exactly know. Go read commentaries. Everybody's got an idea. But at the end of the day, commentators are just commentators. We don't really know exactly what it was. But here's what we know. He had seen something that made him behave and offer differently. Or, or think about Enoch. We don't know much about his relationship with God except to say that it pleased God. Because that's what the Bible said. And God accepted Enoch for it. And we know that that Enoch sought God. He was seeing something that his neighbors weren't seeing that was making him behave differently toward the living God and in life. Or you think about Noah. The Bible, before the Bible ever says Noah was a good man, it says everybody was wicked. You ever thought about that? You read that in Genesis 6. Everybody's bad. And then the Bible says, but Noah found favor. You see the shift? Why was Noah any different? Because God opened something to him and Noah received it. The difference is God. But Noah saw something to God. God says, hey boy, it's going to rain. Nobody had ever seen it rain. Water's going to shoot up out the ground. The whole earth is going to be covered. He told his neighbors. They laughed at him to derision. He started to build an ark. And it was, you know, just like that kid on different strokes again. What you talking about, Willis? Why are you over here building this boat? Because he had been given a vision. And that vision caused him to act personally. Or you think about some of the patriarchs like Abraham. Abraham had been called and Abraham was going to a place that he didn't even know where he was going. I don't even like going to Durham in the blind. Abraham went everywhere in the blind. Why? Because he had heard a voice that others had not heard. He had seen a vision that others had not seen. He had received a promise and he believed it. And so he has this kid, Isaac, and what does Isaac do? Isaac blessed Jacob, and Jacob, uh, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob stood in the promise. Jacob had sons, and he, he blessed all of his sons, and he blessed especially the sons of Joseph. 
And Joseph desired to be buried in the promised land. So many stories that could lead up to this point. Why did Joseph desire to be buried in the promised land? Because he said, that's the place God's going to live us, and I want to rest in the place that God gives us. I have a lot of people come up to me and ask me questions about death and life and death and burial, and is it okay to do this, and is it okay to do that? You know what? What I'm most concerned about is, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what I'm most concerned about, because if your name isn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I don't care how you're buried or where you're buried, you're in trouble. Joseph wanted his bones with those people because he had a vision for the people of God having a place for the people of God. Everywhere you look in the Bible, people aren't heroes because they're good. They're heroes because a good God has engaged with them and they believed him. Amen. I want to see some heroes here in Person County, North Carolina. Not because I expect us as believers to be more extraordinary than our neighbors, but I expect us to be in touch with an extraordinary God. And when he opens things up to us, we say, yes, God. Amen. I think I could take most anybody's story in the Bible and show exactly how they did this or how they didn't do it. But today I want to use Moses. The introduction was long, but I hope you can see what I'm saying. Faith causes us. To see things that are unseen. Amen. Just in the same way that the eye allows us to see things in this seen world. So let's jump in. Whew, that was a long introduction. Jesus, take the wheel. First thing I want us to look at this morning is that faith chooses to be counted with God's people over having status. Faith chooses to be counted with God's people over having status. If you back up and look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 24, it tells us by faith. In other words, he's seen something. You got that? He's seen something. When did he see it? When he was grown up. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up. Aha, clue. Moses has seen something. Now, what did it make him do? That verse tells you exactly what it made him do. Refuse to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. What does that mean? Moses had a shift in identity. Now, some of us need that. Some of us need that out of a family way. Like, I know people that's more concerned about being Moses than they are about being Christian. We'll hold on to family traditions more than we'll hold on to what's right and true according to God's Word. Or, or maybe I could say, if I want to make the most people mad... Maybe I could say it like this. Some people are more concerned about being a Clayton than a Christian. Yep. See, none of the Bozes got upset with them. Clayton said, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> My great, 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 great grandma was a Clayton, but I ain't know the lady. <laughs> Moses makes a shift. He starts to see that there is a God and that God has a peculiar people that he's dealing with. <laughs> And that his identity should be with those people more than anything else. Some of us have identities that make us behave over and against being a Christian in some really weird fields. Let me, let me, let me see if I can put it like this. Some of y'all are more excited about being a Duke fan than you are about being a Christian. You'll spend more time and energy pulling for Carolina or Duke or State then you will serve in the living God. You're saying what your identity is rooted in. Some of us, our identity is rooted in our work. That's, that's who we are, so that's what we concentrate on. Some of us, our identity is wrapped up in, in a particular hobby. Like your life is just totally wrapped up in hunting or fishing or, or shopping. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. In and of themselves, these things aren't bad, but where your identity is is where you will spend your time, talent, and treasure. It will determine how you operate. Amen. That's why I tell folks all the time, the, the elders at our church, we have elders meeting every first and third Sundays. And one of the things we talk about every time is we know, we know what people worship. We know what people worship. Just watch what they do with their time. Watch what they do with their skills. Watch what they do with their treasure. And you're going to find out what they worship. Moses here is making a shift. He had been counted as part of Pharaoh's household with all of its identifiers and all of its privileges. And Moses, if you know the story all the way back 
in Exodus, Moses parts with that and he has a new identity. He says, I'm with these folks now. He does it in a really terrible way. He commits murder. That is a terrible way to join the church. <laughs> Let me go kill somebody and get joined up with these folks. Don't do it that way. The point was he had saw the person of God and the plan of God and it would appear, it would appear, look at your neighbor and say, it would appear. Do it. It would appear Moses was giving up everything. Why do I say that? Because he leaves Pharaoh's house. Some of us, that's the hardest thing about hearing the gospel. We feel like God is saying, you will lose everything. The toughest thing for me in my heart is I felt like to be a Christian would mean to be a wimp. And I would lose the right to protect myself verbally and physically. That I would have to lay down to everybody in the world who was trying to harm me. I didn't didn't have any riches. I was renting a 700 square foot house. I had a 78 uh, Dodge uh, truck and a 1980 Mercury Zephyr station wagon. There was no things to leave behind. My boots cost more than my car did. I had nothing in the world to leave behind except my image of myself. And I was deathly afraid. And it would appear I would lose everything. But I think Moses found a treasure in a field. I think about that passage from Matthew 13. It reads like this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field. The, 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 the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. What am I saying? Moses understood that Pharaoh's household held people, God's people down, blocked God's plan. He says, I I can't stay in this house and follow God. Does that mean everybody's got to leave your house? No, that's not what I'm saying. Does that mean everybody has to leave your job? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, if you're involved in anything that stops you from following God, you better let it go. Amen. You better switch your identity up. I love playing ball. I play tons of ball. But some folks worship baseball and basketball and soccer more than they love Jesus. Because it runs around. And cheerleading and, and, and Nash Gym 6 and all that stuff. If, you ha- if that stuff stops you from following God, you better let it go. If you can do both and honestly say God's God and God's king, good for you. Moses saw, man, God, I see what you're doing, God, and I see Pharaoh's against what you're doing. I see my lifestyle is against what you're doing, and I don't want to be involved in what's against what you're doing. So he got a vision, and it seems like he lost everything, but he didn't. Why? Because he understood this. He understood he is the king's kid. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, you leave behind whatever you leave behind, but you gain God and all he is and all he has. Amen. A shift happens in the believer's thinking. We stop asking, what's in this for me? And we begin to ask, does this please God? Amen. Let me say that again. When you really get a vision for the Lord, you stop asking, what's in this for me? And you start asking, does this please the Lord? Secondly, faith chooses to suffer the cost of walking with God over pleasing self. Faith chooses to suffer the cost of walking with the Lord over pleasing self. It says here in verse 25 that choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It says that right there in verse 25. I'm going to tell y'all something that most preachers won't tell you. Y'all ready? Yep. If you're ready, say, I'm ready, preacher. I'm ready, preacher. Most sin is fun. Oh, yeah. And if your sin won't fun, you probably didn't do it right. <laughs> I've had a ton of fun sinning. The problem is, it's like kissing a pretty girl with the pneumonia. The pleasure is fleeting. The pneumonia lasts for a while. (laughs) It recognizes in the Bible, in verse 25, before somebody says, that preacher's a heretic. It says there are pleasures of sin. But what it recognizes about those pleasures are what? Did anybody notice it? They are fleeting. 
When you ever get a vision for God personally, you start to see, man, yes, this is good. Yes, I struggle with this. Yes, this makes me feel good. But that feeling good is fleeting. Pleasing God is eternal. Often pleasing God is temporarily painful, but eternally good. And sin is often temporarily pleasurable, but eternally it's painful. Moses got an idea that he says, man, I can't, I can't keep living in the lap of luxury at the expense of walking with God. I just can't. I just can't. I can't keep living with the king, eating all this sumptuous fare, eating, uh, wearing these nice clothes. That's what he was doing. And, and it wasn't that nice clothes are bad. It wasn't that good food is bad. It was that those things were alongside an enemy of God. And Moses needed to make a shift. And he knew that shift would be pl- painful. I always say, I mean, look at my condition. Let me step out here so y'all. Look at me. Y'all ever thought about it? The first sin was a blown diet. <laughs> Don't eat that. What do they do? They edit. Walking with God sometimes comes with suffering. Thirdly, faith chooses heavenly treasures over worldly riches. Couldn't you imagine that some of the people, when they saw Moses leave Pharaoh's house, and he went out into the wilderness, and he went out and became a shepherd. He was 40 years old. He had lived in the lap of luxury. And then for the next 40 years, he lived in the wilderness shepherding sheep. Don't you imagine that someone says, man, that Moses, he's just dumb. He's S-T-U-P-I-D, dumb. He had all this, and he left it for what? Following sheep. I wonder what he's doing now. Out there in the middle of nowhere, tending those sheep. Somebody said, man, wow, what an idiot. When people start walking with God because they got the treasures of God's person, God's supply, God's home, God's eternity. When that thing gets in us and we start living differently out here, people say, man, they're taking that Christian stuff too serious. They're taking that church thing too serious. They don't understand. We've gotten a vision of something that's more better, as Justin Wilson would say. It's more better than all of this put together. All this put together. Everybody was upset with Jesus' first miracle. Does anybody remember what it was? What was his first miracle? Who knows? Water to wine. You remember they were upset at the host? Does anybody remember that? They said, wait a minute, fella. Why'd you hold out this best wine to the last? Somebody should have said, why didn't you wait for the best wine? Amen. You know, back when I was a drunk, and I used to be one, I loved Coors Light. Well, it was expensive. So, I, you know, you get six to a Coors Light, and after that, Milwaukee's best tastes just like it. <laughs> Once you X amount of drunk, all of it's the same. I think a lot of us are so drunk on the things of this world, we wouldn't dare taste the wine of God. Ooh, that's right. We so busy sipping this mess, we wouldn't know what the goblet of God tastes like. Well, Moses, it took Moses getting a vision from God and understanding an invisible, it was more than knowledge, it was revelation. God showed him something, and it changed how Moses operated here. And he says, man, wait a minute, God's got treasures that are better than all the treasures I've ever seen. Church, say amen. amen. And because God's got treasure better than all the treasures I've ever seen, I'll wait for the late wine. Amen. I'm asking you, church. Have you seen the late wine? Do you know the late winemaker? Fourthly, faith chooses pleasing God over people pleasing. Faith chooses pleasing God over people pleasing. And that's a struggle right there. That's a struggle. Verse 26 tells us he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. Say, wait a minute. Moses didn't know Jesus, but Moses knew God. God was going to send a deliverer. Before we ever knew his name would be Jesus, Moses was looking to the deliverer who God would send. So who was he looking to? The deliverer. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. Yeah, yeah. 
So I know. Our playoffs will be over next week. Don't worry. But we'll say things in watching football. I, I did it last night. Somebody needs to make a big catch. Long before I knew who Amari Cooper would be, I said, somebody. I was looking to the big catch maker. Moses was looking to Christ before he knew to call him Jesus. He had the faith in the same Jesus that we have. That's why the scripture says it like this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. In other words, it was more, it was, it was, it was better, it was worth more to be treated bad with God and his deliverer than it was for everybody to love you. Amen. Some of us don't know that. We hadn't got a bigger vision. And last but not least, faith chooses God's word over people's logic. He wasn't afraid of the anger of the king, verse 27 tells us. And in verse 28 tells us, by faith he kept the Passover. And, you know, next week we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here. What a wonderful image. Look at any doorway you're sitting there and just listen to me as you look at that doorway. When God sent the death angel, he, he, told, he tells Moses, I'm going to send the death angel, and after this, Pharaoh's going to let you go. But anybody who takes me at my word, anybody who sees that I'm real, and this is serious, and I'm literally going to do it, this is what I want you to do. I want you to show your faith outwardly. I want you to take, I want you to make an animal sacrifice. I want you to take a hyssop, use it like a paintbrush, a plant. And I want you to take some of that blood, I want you to put it down each side of your door, and I want you to put it over each, over the top of your door. Now what's happened is they have believed inside of them, but they're acting outside of them. And what happens, the death angel really comes, and he passes over every house that had shed the blood. They covered the doorway, but he didn't pass over Pharaoh's house. Why? Because Pharaoh didn't believe. A lot of times, the things that God calls us to do doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make someone, sense to someone who hadn't seen the Lord. Like, like this whole thing, love your enemies, it doesn't make sense. Does it? It doesn't make sense where it says, the Bible says, lay down your life for somebody. No, that doesn't make sense. To forgive. That's one of the greatest treasures God has ever given his people, the ability to receive and give forgiveness. Amen. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes we say, that I, will, I will forgive them, but I will never forgive. That's not forgiveness. That's right. And I bet you everybody in this room has said that at some point about something. I'll forgive them, but I ain't going to forget. Well, you didn't really forgive. Because when God forgets, he casts your sin away from him, puts it out of his mind by choice. Amen. See, that stuff doesn't make sense to people who had not seen the Lord. Our lifestyle doesn't make sense. Why are you blowing your Sunday morning in this room? Why are you voluntarily taxing yourself? Why do you believe that being an usher or, 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 or singing in the choir or handing out bullets, why do you believe that's even worth your time? Because you've seen something. And it's making you behave differently. I guess what I'm saying to you is embrace it more than you ever have in your life. Amen. If you like New Year's resolutions, make a New Year's rev resolution to say, God, I've seen this much and it's brought me to this place. I want to see more. Amen. I want to see more. I want to see more. And I'm telling you, when God shows you something, you will either live in resistance toward him and what he's shown you, or you will embrace it and it will change your life. It will change your life. It'll change how you relate to your, even your memories. It'll change how you relate to your future. It will change how you relate to your spouse. And hey, Christian men, if walking with Jesus has not changed how you walk with your wife, shame on you. Repent and ask God for a fresh start. Christian wives... If walking with Jesus has not changed how you relate to your spouse, shame on you. Repent. How many of you folks out here still go to work every, every week? If it hasn't changed how you operate in the workplace, shame on you. Repent. If it hasn't changed how you deal with your wealth, your resources, shame on you. Repent. If it ch hasn't changed how you use this ugly thing, ah. Uh, 
shame on you. Repent. If it has, oh man, oh man, go offer with the tongue the offering of praise and thankfulness. Go offer the gospel. If it's changed the way you do with your money, don't live for yourself. Help people who are down and out. Do the work of the kingdom. If it's changed how you live as an employee, be salt and light to your coworkers and be honest in your dealings. If it's changed how you live as a wife, then show the world the picture of an obedient church, loving a good husband. And if it's changed how you are as a husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church. I could go on and on. If it hasn't changed you, shame on you. Repent. If it has, live wide open for Jesus. Amen. Live wide open for Jesus. No apologies, no shame, no fear. This life might kill you, but the one that calls you to it will resurrect you. Amen. The question I have for each of you as individuals is what have you seen? What have you seen of the Lord? What have you seen? Are you responding to what you've seen? Don't impress me. I'm good. I got enough ego to last us all. I'm okay. I don't need anybody to come and pray for me. I'm going to be fine. Amen? Amen. I got enough water under this pulpit to walk across the desert. I'm good. (laughs) I'm asking you to be brave enough to, to talk to God this morning. And bigger, and bigger, would you be brave enough to listen? Would you ask God for a shift in your life without, don't you put boundaries on it. Don't be that guy says, God, I'll do anything you want as long as I don't have to change anything. How about as a family? Let me ask you something. When was the last time man and wife or man and wife and children. When was the last time all y'all was at the altar together? We'll go set resolutions all alone and we break them all alone. <laughs> when was the last time we got at the altar as a family? You say, God, here we are. We don't know what's next, but we know we want more of you. When's the last time y'all fasted and prayed as a church? Immediately somebody thought, I can't fast. I got a condition. Okay, when's the last time you sought the Lord in a special way while maintaining your health? (laughs) When's the last time you had a 24-hour prayer meeting here? When's the last time you, you read the word for hours on end together? When's the last time you wept and moaned? See, what we want is spiritual results with no spiritual action. And what I've been asking God for is to let you see something more than what you're seeing so that you'll behave differently than you're behaving. Amen. And don't think I'm asking that just for you. I'm asking that for East Rock Community Church. I'm asking that for Westwood Baptist. I'm asking that for Concord United Methodist. I'm asking it for the people of God in Person County. Because I'm going to tell you, if we would get up and really walk with the Lord, just there's no telling what would happen. God's just waiting on who will say, take me, Lord. So this morning, believer, I'm putting it to you, believers. Oh, I'm tightening the screws down. When's the last time you let the Lord have you in a fresh way? No restrictions. No telling them what he's not going to do. And maybe you're sitting out here today and, and, and Christian life just feels like a bunch of don't do's and can't have's. Well, I'm telling you. There's as much go do, if not more, than there is don't do. You walk with God, he's going to send you to do a lot. Somebody say amen. Amen. And anything you lose in this world, you gain the God who made the world, you'll never lose anything that's worth keeping through eternity. Amen. If it's not worth keeping through eternity, so what? If it's worth keeping through eternity, you will never lose it in the hand of Jesus. How do you come into the family of God? You believe on the name of Jesus and all the work he's done for you, that he paid for your sin, that he defeated death, that he rose to the Father, that his work was accepted and completed, that he sent the Holy Ghost to preach to your heart this morning. You believe on that name and all his work, and you receive him. You say, God, I'm not just getting the information. I'm expecting the transformation. I believe on you, and I want you. I plead the blood. I I have no defense for my sin. I plead the blood 
and I ask for the person who shed it, and he'll give you life. He'll seal you, he will send you, he will grow you, and he will do amazing things in your life. But you'll never find that out by sitting on the sidelines. You'll never find that out by just living religion. You need him. You need God. You need the person of Jesus, the power of the Holy Ghost. You need that blood over your sins. You need that person in you. In my vessel. Come on, choir. In my vessel. Stand up in me, Lord. Rise up in this vessel. So maybe today is your day. Believer, would you... Would you give God a fresh conversation, maybe even a fresh surrender? Or maybe today you need to come to God. During our time of invitation, one of my favorite old hymns, Just As I Am. You know what I love about it? He takes you just as you are, but whoo, thank you, Jesus. He don't leave you that way. Amen. So if the Holy Spirit strikes you, you come on. Father, as we sing, you speak. And as you speak, may we listen and lead us to yourself. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.
pastor, not a member. You know, the cool thing about membership is you 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 you, you get to vote. The cool thing about not being a member is you don't got to. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe if you're not a member, you might uh, step out and wait to receive folks. But if you remember, I should be seated on the turn of the chair.